Warning, this podcast episode may contain explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content. Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Grisha Verse podcast. If you've been listening, you know that what you can expect from us is spoilers. Lots and lots and lots of spoilers for literally everything in the Grisha Verse. No book, no novella, no TV series is safe. You have been warned. You can also expect some serious conspiracy theories, and I think we will primarily be doing that on this episode. My name is JJ. I'm Kat. And I'm Anjali. And today's topic is amplifiers in season two of the Netflix Shadow and Bone show, and potentially a few other things. So we are going to primarily be talking about amplifiers as they are in season two of the Netflix Shadow and Bone show. If you have not heard our previous amplifier episode. You mean every episode? (laughs) (laughs) Fair. But we do have an episode also exclusively on amplifiers. And it may be worth taking a listen to that to remind yourself where all of our theories are. Before we get started here, I recently re-listened to it in preparation for this. It was a delightful episode. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So let's kick this off with a fun name fact for season two of the Netflix Shadow and Bone show, which is that in the last episode of season two, Nikolai tries guessing the apparat's first name, and he guesses both Lev and Leonid. Both names translate to lion. I have not been able to find or come up with any reason for the apparat being a lion here. So I recently rewatched that scene and I think Nikolai is being a giant troll. Lions are commonly associated with royalty. They are mighty creatures. They're the kings of the jungle. And the apparat in the show, while not being as disgusting as the book apparat, is very mousy and not mighty and i think he is teasing him and kind of poking fun at him when he says oh is is your name is it lion is it some other version of lion and the opera just kind of stone-faced trying to ignore this big diss that nikolai is making Hmm. all right so here we are we have mentioned this in every episode probably Probably. (laughs) maybe not the whisper one although maybe since season two came out about how we need to talk about the amplifiers in season two of the Netflix Shadow and Bones show. You all know we care a lot about exactly how amplifiers work. Just like on a visceral level, this is something that I think, back me up here, yes, deeply important (laughs) to each of us. Deeply, (laughs) deeply important. (laughs) And extremely plot relevant, right? Massively plot relevant. So it really matters exactly how they work. They work differently in season one of the show slightly than they did in the original books in that they are embedded into the body rather than encircling it. I do want to start having re-listened to our previous amplifier episode recently. There was a question that I had asked there, which was, you know, at the end of season one, Alina absorbs the amplifier into her body. This is not something we see any other Grisha do. And so my question was, in season two, how will Alina's relationship with her amplifier be different than the relationship other Grisha have with their amplifiers since she absorbed it? 
Do either of you feel like she had a different connection to the amplifier that she absorbed into her body at the end of season one? Generally speaking, it didn't feel like she had a very unique relationship with her antler amplifier than what we saw for her with the Sea Whip amplifier or Tolia and Tamar's. I agree with that. I feel like the show didn't really bother to show us other Grisha's relationships with their amplifier in too much detail. So it's hard to say. Yeah. Once Alina absorbed the antlers, they were more or less forgotten. I was curious where they would take it because it Mm. seemed like they were setting her up to have a different relationship. And ultimately, in many ways, she does have a different relationship with her amplifiers, right? But that doesn't seem to have anything to do with her having absorbed the stag. We also had a related question from one of our listeners, Julia, who pointed out that fabricators are needed for amplifiers, but also it's somewhat canon that fabricators are unable to modify or affect human flesh. So if this like process of Alina taking in the stag collar is embedding it in her flesh, why was David needed? Why is that like a fabricator process? In the book, it's very clearly a fabricator process because they're making it kind of encircle the body, right? They're making this separate device. And then fabricators are still involved in the show. I think like many other changes to amplifier canon, this might be due to writing laziness. Probably the fact that David was involved in this process originally, so they just kind of kept him around rather than it really being anything to do with like amplifier theory. Would it have made you two feel better if it was David and like Ivan or like some other heart render and it was like a combo? Yes, that would have been fun and interesting. (laughs) But this is important for David's character arc to be involved in this, right? To do something that Alina would find unforgivable, as he tells Jenya. Yes, that's a great point. With that, we're moving on to purely season two stuff. So let's talk about, we saw so much about amplifiers in season two. We, we mentioned in our initial episodes, afterwards, it did not feel like we had taken from our first viewing a coherent understanding of how amplifiers work in the show world. So this is what we're going to dive into here and see what did we learn and how does it all fit together? And does it all fit together? And yes, (laughs) does it all fit together? I spent a lot of time lovingly pulling together facts that we learn about amplifiers and attempting to fit them into kind of a, a format of something we could discuss. I'm very curious to discuss and see how far we can get on this path of amplifier understanding. All right, so I think one hot topic that was new to the show not in the books is that amplifiers show the last memory of the living being they sure do although it is last memory very loosely defined right so with the sea whip alina sees its memory of looking at mal which was immediately before she killed it with bagra the darkling sees her quote-unquote, last memory of telling Mal that he is a descendant of Morozova and is the Firebird. That happened minutes before she died. My first thought about this is that Bagra is an idiot (laughs) because after she tells Mal he's the Firebird, she jumps into the Darkling and Alina's tether connection 
And he's like, how, how? Which I thought was actually great. He does a really great job yelling how. And like you kind of, I think, like see that dynamic, like him and his mom. That was a really good moment. And she says, who taught you all your tricks, boy? And then somehow lets herself be killed in a way that reveals this critical piece of information to her son. After teaching him this final trick that he can then use to terrorize said new amplifier that he knows about. This is like not Bagra's strongest moment. However, there is also the flip side of this, that Bagra lies all the time, and I'm a little bit surprised that he took what he saw through there at face value. Hmm. That he's like, oh, Mal's the amplifier, because Bagra told him it was, <laughs> so he must be. It is interesting that the last moment is like a some amount of range, and it's clearly just choosing a scene that the writers thought would be interesting for the next character to see. Your last memory that furthers the plot, right? <laughs> exactly. Is there a world in which we can somehow justify that she wanted the Darkling to have this information too? If Bagra were a different character in the show, yes. I do think that it would be totally reasonable to, even as she is trying to defeat her son in many ways, to like give him a fighting chance, to like help him learn things that may be necessary. But like it does seem like a reasonable thing that someone might do is like try to say I am trying to defeat you but I'm also trying to keep things open because I have mixed feelings this Bagra does not have mixed feelings she does seem pretty unconflicted and there are some like conversations I think we've called out that are just like whoa is there like no nuance here but Mm -hmm. maybe subconsciously she you know she wanted him to know to give him a fighting chance I like that because that helps me feel a little bit better about the like otherwise randomness of the scene that gets replayed to the next character. Agreed. There's just some general weirdness. I I don't know if we're going to discuss this more later with Bagra's finger bones being removed while she was alive. I'm sorry, you don't know if we're going to discuss this more later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we're going to discuss this more later, but (laughs) jumping ahead, I think there is some weirdness to the fact that Bagra's finger bones were removed while she was still alive and they still transmit the memory of something that happened to her well after they were cut off of her body. That's a great point. I don't like it. I don't like any of this particular plot line, but I also don't like that aspect of it. That is a really good point. What Bagra's bones knew. (laughs) Okay, so other things we see about amplifiers, just other facts that we learn about amplifiers or things that we see happen with amplifiers in this season. If we all remember from season one, when the Darkling has that part of the stag embedded in his hand that looks a little bit like necrosis, and then Alina stabs it out of his hand, but there is a tiny bit left that they hypothesize is kind of what this connection is. So right before Alex is about to stab it out of his hand, he like has a knife ready to like pry out this tiny remaining bit that remains in his hand. And then he sees it like sparkle up, right? And he's like, oh, she's alive. That's how he knows that she's still alive. So having part of an amplifier that someone else has, it might sparkle if they're still alive or somehow give you some indication of that. And we learn that is necessary for the connection between 
him and Alina that allows them to visit one another. It is not necessary for all tethering connections because as Bagra says, amplifiers, blood, it's all the same, boy, or whatever it is, <laughs> which is why he can visit Mal. But uh, that is necessary for him to visit Alina. So once Bagra cuts off his hand, he and Alina can no longer visit each other. Side note, does this mean that all of the Darklings generals who received Bagra's finger bone amplifiers can tether to each other. <laughs> oh my god, it does. Did they know what they were signing up for when they accepted this? I think the Darkling definitely did not know because I do not think he wants Fruzy being able to just like visit him whenever she feels like it because she feels unhealthily <laughs> obsessed. She's a bit unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he would have knowingly signed up for that. Wow. Maybe that that explains the overly emotional reaction by Fruzy when that other random general is killed (laughs) and she's like, oh, it's on now. Like randomly. Wait, this makes me so happy. Thank you, Anjali. I'm like, love that you're pulling together pieces that have bothered me into a new theory. I I have put on my tinfoil hat for this episode and I am creating unhinged theories for you guys. It's actually a tinfoil tiara, though, for her. (laughs) So true. (laughs) We've trained you well. Or been a bad influence, whatever it is. (laughs) So one thing I thought was interesting that comes out about amplifiers in season two is that the Duras that they meet in Novia Yizem says, possessing two amplifiers, it breaks all the rules, which is fascinating because our personal canon has been that in Novia Zem, they do whatever they want and they don't pay attention to the like old world Ravkin restrictions on Grisha power. But it looks like some rules might exist cross borders. I was a little disappointed, honestly. Uh, (laughs) It seemed like it was like crushing my head canon a little bit, but it also made me curious where she had learned that. Did she also learn it with the what is infinite, the universe and the greed of men? Or is there some other thing that she was taught about it? Maybe in Novia Zem, they actually tried two amplifiers. <laughs> I think an interesting thing is about her phrasing of it breaks all the rules. That doesn't necessarily say you can't do it, by the way, or that you'll lose your powers and create a bunch of new sun summoners, right? Like it's not necessarily the phrasing you would expect um, if someone were to say like, that doesn't work. Like she's just talking about rules at this point. Yeah, like how Marzost breaks all the rules. Yep, like still doable. That is a really good point. So in that same scene, I believe, Alina said that she used to dream about the stag and now she was dreaming about the sea whip and the firebird. And we had talked previously about how in the show, the amplifiers seem fated to be Alina's, right? There are things mm-hmm. that like belong to her in this connection of fate somehow, which is why she was dreaming about the stag. And, you know, now she says she's dreaming about the sea whip and the firebird. And the question came up for me, why was she dreaming about the firebird? That is an excellent question because the firebird was never made into an amplifier, right? Like that's the big reveal that Ilya uses his last, like whatever supplies he has for making the last amplifier, uses it to revive his daughter and his daughter becomes the amplifier, the swan breaker, by the way. And so she shouldn't be dreaming of... The firebird, if anything, she should be dreaming of 
Mal. And it would be really funny if, you know, she just thinks she's in love with Mal because she's constantly dreaming of him. But actually, it turns out that he's just supposed to be her amplifier. And she discovers, you know, I'm not really that into you. I just uh, was being plagued by these dreams of you. I think if you don't want to go down the route of the writer stumbling, I think it might actually reveal something about Alina's ambition. You know, not that she's fated to find these amplifiers, but she keeps dreaming of them because she's dying to have them because she has this ambition and this greed in her that's haunting her dreams at night and keeps Mm -hmm. telling her to find these other amplifiers, even though she shouldn't be trying to break the rules. And the firebird is the symbol of Ravka. And she Mm. ends up on that stage at the coronation, right? That's Ah, very true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So she's not dreaming about the firebird as an amplifier. She misinterprets her own ambition as an amplifier. I like that a lot. In season one, she does dream of the stag. It seems like not related to her ambition, right? It's almost even before she knows it's an amplifier or what the stag is all about. Yes, that's true. So, okay, so I think the theory that we're suggesting is that one somewhat faded, you know, according to the Netflix show plot, but the Sea Whip and Firebird were actually Alina projecting, thinking that this is her destiny. So I think maybe the Firebird is projecting. She may be dreaming about the Sea Whip and Mal, which she probably just doesn't want to share with a bunch of people she's playing cards with. (laughs) And then also dreaming about the firebird as a projection because she knows it's part of that and so thinks that she's supposed to, but it's also like the symbol of Rafka and there's more stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm actually satisfied with that answer. I can work with that. I think it does work in well with the new narrative that they're clearly pointing Alina in the direction of, which is she's getting increasingly ambitious and moving towards the crown. Another interesting thing about the Sea Whip is in the show she says she wasn't planning to kill it. So what was the plan there? (laughs) Definitely the plan was to make Alina look better, that she only kills it because she really has to. And to be fair, they do that in the books as well, right? Other people fatally wound the sea whip and she kills it. I mean, that's like always her thing though, right? She like Mm. wasn't going to kill the sea. Set, like she wasn't going to kill the stag either. She tells Mal, no, we'll find another way. What is the other way? Nobody knows, right? No one knows. Yeah. My only hypothesis here was like this sea whip ended up being pretty small. So maybe she like wraps it around her like a feather boa or something and just carries <laughs> it into battle. Maybe it can be her pet like Nagini in Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point of this question was like, Was there possibly a way that reconciles with amplifier theory that Alina was thinking of that she could have this sea whip like not be killed? It doesn't seem like there is to me. I think Alina was just being naive. I think the writers were just protecting her character unnecessarily and, you know, showing her reluctance to kill. Sholina is not a planner, and I think it's part of them trying to keep her somewhat of an ingenue character, right? The, like, she has no agenda, and then suddenly at the end, you know, this in the season finale, when she's smiling while performing the cut, it's supposed to feel like a much bigger, you know, departure or plot twist than it would have otherwise if she was someone with a plan all the time. Another thing that we have mentioned before is the sex scene with Alina and Mel and how in the show, 
unlike in the books, we do not see them using Mal being an amplifier to provide that extra oomph or jolt or whatever it is that that it provided during their sexual encounter in the books. However, upon rewatch, I noticed that Mal does kiss her amplifiers. He kind of kisses along the collarbone and like where the fetter is on her wrist. And honestly, I thought it was weird and not sexy at all. Is and there that- a Mal Alina sex scene that you <laughs> would or could have found sexy? First question. <laughs> I have the exact same question. (laughs) Okay, this is absolutely a fair question. And if you will remember, I was the one who was a fan of the usage of the amplifier in the books, and neither of you two even noticed it, and I was like, this is a good thing about the sex scene, okay? (laughs) So whether or not that was, like, sexy, I did think it was interesting, and this was just sad and, like, a little bit pathetic. Almost, Mal was almost like resigned to becoming this thing on her body. It gave me the opposite vibes that I felt like they were sort of going for. I will say, I think it was supposed to be tender and touching, maybe not necessarily sexy per se in this scene of the episode. The other thing worth noting is that these like places on the body, like the inside of your wrist, your collarbone, like they're like pretty intimate places where people I think do kiss each, like it's not like somewhere random, like her kneecap or something, right? (laughs) (laughs) Are you reacting more to the fact that he is an amplifier kissing her amplifiers and finding that off-putting? Yes, it was almost like he was like kissing himself. And so like part of this, right, I think when we were talking about this in the group chat and I was like, well, Mal doing that is weird, but like if the Darkling did it, it'd be like a power move, right? Yep. Like like he put that collar on her. He gives like one long, slow lick of the collarbone. It's like total power move. And like that is like an interesting sex scene in a way that kind of Mal tenderly, sadly kissing her collarbone just made me sad. So speaking of Mal, there was a lot of discussion around a war strategy table where a lot of people weighed in on different ways that Mal could be used as an amplifier without Mal being permanently dead. Tamar was like, well, what if I just like kill him for like maximum two minutes, right? Can I just stop his heart and then restart it? And then Alina's like, no, it has to be me. I was surprised that they all seem to think that it might actually be possible for someone not Alina to kill Mal and have her use him, but not in the way the Darkling did. Wasn't Tamar someone who at the beginning of the season had a conversation with her brother who's like, ha, I killed the shark first, therefore I get its amplifier power and you can't have any. Maybe it made sense to Tamar if she killed Mal gave the power to Alina and didn't take it for herself. Like maybe what she was trying to say is like only one person could have it. That's why you couldn't have any Tolia, not just because I'm a jerk big sister who didn't let you have a tooth too. We did see this with Alina and the Darkling to some extent. Yes. And the Darkling could have allowed her to use that power and Tamar presumably would have. I think that's a really interesting point of like, what if they did go this route and suddenly Tamar has control over Alina's powers (laughs) <laughs> right, because the only reason Alina like got herself back in the book and the show is because she realized she showed mercy to the stag, 
right? Other than that, she thought she was completely like under the control of the Darkling. And this could have happened again with Tamar. Maybe that's why Alina rejected it immediately. Like, nope, gotta be me. I think Alina rejected it immediately because she's like, we're not killing Mal because Alina can't plan anything. Yeah. But (laughs) good job giving her credit for being strategic. Very optimistic of you. I'm really trying. I want it to all work. Okay, so another thing that I noticed. Morozova used Morzos to resurrect creatures and turn them into amplifiers. That is what he did, right? He did that with the stag. He did that with the sea whip. He did that with his daughter, Swanbreaker. Alina used Morzost to resurrect Mal. Should Mal not still be an amplifier? Yes, he should. That's that's a great. Uh, well, I don't know what other preparations. Maybe you can only go one direction when you use Morzost. <laughs> <laughs> like they weren't amplifiers before for Morozova, and now they are because he used Morzost. I'm really trying here. <laughs> I need it to make sense. So I, I can believe that maybe Morozova had some Morozost prepared, knew what he was doing, like there's some sort of plan there that he was executing. But I do think it's weird that this whole thing is set up so that like amplifiers are a way or the only way we see of resurrecting people with Morozost. And then the first time we see someone resurrect someone with Morozost, they are no longer an amplifier. They like explicitly lose that. I do think that, you know, as we've mentioned a couple times in this episode, Alina doesn't plan things. She's not strategic. Ilya, huge planner, many notebooks, very scientific, had a purpose in doing what he was doing. It seemed like he did something like very specific. In addition to bringing them back to life, to me, it was implied there was like something specific in how he resurrected them that allowed them to become amplifiers because otherwise you know he resurrected his daughter why wouldn't he just go find the firebird and make it an amplifier afterwards right do you think it's possible alina i know we're we're saying she's not maybe the most strategic planner ever but is it possible she didn't want mal to come back as an amplifier because she wanted to absorb the power okay so I love that. So this, yes. Okay, so this was another question I have, which is, does Alina have Mal's amplifying power at the end of season two? That is totally unclear to me. That is an unanswered question if whether or not when he comes back to life, does she retain that power somehow? I mean, I think she is carrying with her the power of three amplifiers. I feel like Alina would be complaining a lot if she had a ton of power and then suddenly lost it. And I just didn't see that complaint coming out of her. Maybe the fact that her she has this like kind of personality shift is supposed to allude to the fact that she has all three amplifiers. You know what? There is that real personality shift because I remember that scene in the last episode when she's putting on her crown and Nikolai comes in. And the way she interacts with him, I was like, where was this Alina the entire rest of the season? This Alina mm-hmm. is charming and interesting in a way that she wasn't up until then. Interesting. I do think, to your point, like we didn't see her like use like a full extent of three amplified Grisha summoning, but that might be something they're saving for season three also. So how did Alina use Mal's power if he was not melded into her body? So she stabs him, some of his blood gets in her. Like she just ingests his blood. Or like she has a cut, it mingles. It's like a blood pact. Well, like what was her plan? 
she didn't have a plan here, right? Mm-hmm. The plan was to use Mal and not kill him. And then yeah. it didn't work. And then it killed him and it somehow worked. Maybe, maybe this is an instance where Mal chose Alina and that was sufficient. Hmm. Yeah, I do think it's suspicious that his powers are gone when he's resurrected. Like you said, it feels like they should go somewhere. If you think about in the books, when this scene happens, it creates all those sun summoners. And here we see the effect of him losing his powers and sense of self, consequently. But we, like you've been pointing out, don't have 100% proof that Alina has actually absorbed his power. All right, we'll we'll look out in season three and confirm to ourselves what has actually happened. And by confirm to ourselves, you mean continue to make our own theories yeah. and <laughs> patching things together. <laughs> Uh, We'll keep our tinfoil hats at the ready. I thought it could be interesting to talk a little bit about the Bagra finger bone amplifier stuff specifically. (sighs) Did everyone take their migraine medication before (laughs) before doing this? Okay. The first beginning we see to this is when Alex chops off his mom's pinky finger, hands it to Vladim, like kind of dismissively throws it into a thing. And he says... Morozova used finger bones as amplifiers. Do something with that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So this opens questions because, okay, we know Bagra's an amplifier. Everyone knows Bagra's an amplifier. Mm -hmm. Do we think this implies that Morozova was an amplifier as well? So I don't think I necessarily immediately thought that because it wasn't clear to me that he meant he was using his own finger bones. He was just using amplifier finger bones, yes. not necessarily his. I think that's what I uh, had taken away from that. I also interpreted as that just because, I mean, uh, how do you have enough fingers to keep doing all this like complex lab work if you keep using them? It's your amplifiers <laughs> and your own fingers at that. Yeah. Okay, great. So this answers part of the question, which we do not know Morozova's amplifier status, although given that he had one child who was naturally an amplifier. Potentially he was an amplifier. Okay, so Morozova used the finger bones of an amplifier as amplifiers. That works for me. So I I guess then one question is, do we think Morozova was using the finger bones of one particular amplifier to create all three of these different amplifiers that he created? If so, right, then there is precedent for using Morozost to take one amplifier and turn it into multiple amplifiers in the way that they do in this show. And I guess, is that the implication here? I guess I didn't necessarily see him as using finger bones in creating his final three amplifiers. I mean, his name is, right, his nickname is The Bonesmith. Presumably he's been doing crazy stuff with bones for a while and to me, like the final three amplifiers seem like the culmination of his life's work. And he had done a lot of small experimentation to get to this point. So the amplifiers that he put in the stag and the sea whip and Swanbreaker are not necessarily from finger bones. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's related to finger bones personally. Yeah, I think I actually understood this mostly as a like he used finger bones, maybe gave them to other Grisha, maybe used them himself. As amplifiers, I definitely did not have the takeaway of this was related to the creation of the three amplifiers that he was making. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, and I think the fact that the dialogue here is so sparse 
is maybe deliberate. Like, Morozova used finger bones as amplifiers. Do something with that, right? It's almost like it was placeholders, like, dialogue. (laughs) Yeah, so I think I filled in a lot of the implications about the amplifiers that we learned about from Morozova, but maybe they're talking about something else that Alexander was already familiar with from Morozova's journals. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. That takes away a number of the questions that I have, other than still why. I mean, I still have many questions. <laughs> why take a living creature's finger bones? Why distribute them to multiple people? Why the Darkling only wear an amplifier at this point in your life where presumably you've been living for hundreds and hundreds of years? Why not take the stag for yourself? So many questions. Okay, let, let's get to some of those. So so I think what we do see here is that there is something in Morozova's journals about one amplifier being able to amplify multiple different Grisha via Morozost. That is what we see happen in the show. We see Vladim using the journals. We see the same symbol from the fingerbone dust appears on his skin that we also see in the journals. It does seem that he is doing or experimenting in order to try and replicate something that Morozova has already done. I am a little bit confused as to why the Darkling, who uses Merzost, would have waited this long to have a Grisha try to extend an amplifier to multiple Grisha. The writers maybe intended us to believe that this is one of Morozova's experiments that was in his journal that now the Darkling is trying to replicate. I don't know that the Darkling necessarily read all of his journals beforehand, right? He goes to go get the journal presumably to see if there's anything that can help him. And maybe he reads about this and is like, oh, this is interesting. Let's see if I can use it. Where's that guy I have working for me? Rosa, I used finger bones. Do something. Another question that Anjali brought up in her litany was, why take these bones from Bagram while she's still alive? I wonder, okay, that question, that's a great question. And it makes me wonder if part of this is an implied threat. Yeah. If we can figure this out, like, I will kill you for this. How do they know they figured it out until she's dead, though? Maybe it sparkles to show she's alive still. (laughs) Maybe it actually shows something about the Darkling's, like, character or personality rather than being something that's, you know, affecting Mirzo's theory. Maybe he does plan to kill her, but he... He can't do it yet. So he just chops off the fingers first and he's like, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll kill her. These things will start working. And he just can't bring himself to actually like murder his mother yet. So he's like kind of putting it off. He's like, just find a way to make these work while she's alive. And if I have to, I'll kill her, but just not now. Because I think he (laughs) thinks of himself as more ruthless than he actually is sometimes. Yeah. Especially show Darkling. Especially show Darkling. I mean, I maybe there's something in between these two things too, which is what that he wanted to threaten Bagra, but he never really planned to actually kill her and or use these. He was like, This is a great way to show her like I'm more serious than I've ever been, but he still was like, I'm not planning to actually kill her and tether these you know <laughs> fools to Grisha to me. <laughs> the B team. So there, there's also this dialogue between the Darkling and Vladim, where after Bagra cuts off Alex's hand, he asks Vladim, have you felt any change? Meaning the amplifier. Vladim says, to be honest, sir, nothing. I thought maybe when she died. And he says, you will. 
after this. And he says it incredibly certainly. And he's so certain that essentially once he gets her as an amplifier, that it will activate the rest of the amplifiers. How could he be that certain? Has he done this before? Maybe what Bagra said, blood or amplifier, it's all the same. Maybe Bagra is not actually like acting as an amplifier. Maybe this finger bone experiment was really like a failed experiment, but the Darkling is using that bone as a conduit to act as a human amplifier for all of them. Now I'm saying this and I'm realizing it's wrong at the same time because he sees Bagra's like last memory, which means that she was an amplifier mm. and the finger bone experiment was successful. Or wait, 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 maybe it's only working as an amplifier for him because he does kill her and it's working as an amplifier for the rest of them because now he's using those bones as a bridge to amplify them all. I actually, I love that. I love that. Okay, so he is the only one being amplified by Bagra, which we need to talk about separately. <laughs> but then via Bagra, they're all connected and he can send out his amplification powers to them. Yeah. yeah. That's the one to beat. Oh, Wouldn't it sure. be amazing if the writers actually said any of this explicitly as yeah. opposed to us yeah, having I'd these theories? Ben- you know what I want is next time Ben Barnes is interviewed for him to be like, yes, exactly. That's exactly what we intended. I'm so glad the audience picked up on it. <laughs> Why can the Darkling use Bagra as an amplifier? Let me start with the opposite. Why do you think he shouldn't have been able to? There, there are a few things going on. I guess there is should and would. Do we think a natural amplifier... Or uh, a Grisha who is an amplifier could use another amplifier. And I think we've talked about sort of no. I think that, as the Zemini Durast would say, breaks all the rules. And there's kind of like a feedback loop there that doesn't exactly make sense. There's also for me this question of are there different amplifier types, right? So we see like Morozova's three amplifiers. Is that a different type of amplifier? than any other type of amplifiers. Darkling and Bagra are certainly implied to be the same type of amplifier that he inherited his amplifier from her in the way that Mal inherited his through this long line. And it doesn't feel right to me without further explanation of how this works in world that he should be able to stack any sort of amplifier, let alone an amplifier that is clearly the same as the amplifier that he also is. I think there are different types of amplifiers. I think Morozova set out to create three special amplifiers for whatever reason unknown. He sought out these like very specific creatures, otherwise any other common amplifier, you know, like the tiger or shark or whatever. And all these like animal amplifiers seem different than the human amplifiers, which like maybe all the people in Mal's lineage, we've like, talked about that before. And then those human amplifiers are also like kind of distinct that from the Darkling family of amplifiers, although sort of related. It's unclear to me why the Darkling and Bagra are amplifiers in addition to like, the Swanbreaker's lineage. So like, there definitely do seem to be different types of amplifiers. I don't know if it's more acceptable that the Darkling is able to stack something with his own innate amplifierness if it's a different type of amplifier. I think we've brought this up multiple times. Like, 
why wouldn't he do this before? He's so power hungry. Or is the solution that like the only type of amplifier that he's like going to try to stack or like what thinks that will work is like one made from his own mother's bones. And the reason he's never tried it before is that he wasn't willing to kill his mother before this. Another theory, now that you say that. He is the most powerful Grisha we know of. He's so powerful, extremely, extremely powerful. We also see that given that he can amplify four additional Grisha, right? That is presumably a lot of power while, while he is still alive. What if he worried that without the ability to push kind of like power out into other Grisha, an amplifier would make him too powerful to survive in the way that their power is the only thing that can kill them. If he was like, I, I am close enough to that edge that without Ooh. this like safety valve, I would never even try this. So then what do you think pushes him over the edge? Desperation? Figuring out a way to connect it to kind of those four other Grisha so he can push at least the amplification part of his powers out of himself. I think this is actually a theory that I really like. I, I think kind of the combination of what both of you are saying, maybe he knows there's like a consequence to stacking power with himself that would ultimately lead to him having less power. So for example, we've talked about this a long time ago in an earlier episode. My belief was always that Morozova knew that stacking all three amplifiers would distribute all that power and create like a new type of Grisha. Like he knew about the army of Sun Summoners. So maybe that was in his journals. And so the Darkling knew like, okay, well, I can't really get a bunch of amplifiers because there'll be an army of Shadow Summoners and I want to, you know, retain that power you know, between me and mama over here. So he just never goes that route. And that explains why he never wants the stag for himself. And maybe his idea was like, okay, we'll get Alina the stag, maybe the sea whip, but we're never gonna go get the firebird because I want this power contained in one person. Or maybe he'd be okay having an army of sun summoners, I don't know. But I think that kind of beautifully explains why he waited. He just never went down this power-hungry route beforehand. It's the only thing that really makes sense. He's very ambitious. There's nothing else that should have stopped him. I have a super tinfoil hatty theory for you two. More so than what we just said. Bogretride. Oh. Yes. Bogretride, he saw and was like scarred. I mean, one thing that's never really made sense to me is how much Book Bagra was into the saints and like anti-Mirzost, I think related to that. And I'm wondering, did she try something herself? This is where I'm really going off the beaten path here. We never really see her truly summoning to the extent of her powers, right? I think also you're onto something, right? Like Grisha are supposed to have like amazing longevity, right? And Bagra is an old woman. And you just chalk that up maybe to the fact that, okay, the Darkling is her son. Maybe he's just hundreds of years younger than her. But what if she would otherwise like look like she was in the prime of her life, but she flew too close to the sun and like that was one of her consequences that enervated her? Yep. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, so I do want to bring up another thing that AK Hodges 13 sent to us, which was what if Alina doing the dark cut at the end was her absorbing the Darkling's powers, right? So he's an amplifier. She kills him. We don't see her incorporate any of his body as an amplifier, but it makes sense considering it's his 
power that she's using. Mm. I thought that was a really interesting idea. It's a really interesting combo of how amplifiers work in the OG trilogy canon and how they work in the King of Scars duology, right? In terms of like incorporating someone into you and their Mm. powers that you have versus kind of like strict amplifying from the killing, which we see in the trilogy. I, I love that. that. Was, I thought Great that was theory. really in, yeah. Yeah, the kind of prevailing theory that I had beforehand was that it's just a sign that, you know, Lena is like evil now. <laughs> She's done for so, so she has like a dark cut. But right. I think that's She's a, gotten a taste for it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much better theory. Well, the one thing I don't love about it is does that mean the Darkling is not going to come back resurrected in season three or beyond? Like how does it work if she does have his power? In the books, Alina and the Darkling share powers through this connection that they have. And so I certainly think it's possible that, like, Alina may be holding on to his powers. And if he's resurrected, they're both kind of, like, drawing from that same pool, potentially. I will tell you my other pet theory related to this, which is I think they brought the Afra back because they're going to use him instead of Yuri. (gasps) Kill the Aparat! Kill the Aparat! Okay, that's an amazing theory. I love that, except that... (laughs) (laughs) Except that you also hate the apparatus. (laughs) Yes, I truly do. That actually makes a lot of sense. What if his first name is Yuri? (gasps) (gasps) Wait, what does Yuri mean? My light. It's Hebrew. It means means like my light. My my light as opposed to the darkling. Oh, it's great. All right. I love this theory. I think it's fantastic. Same. Same. It's the only way I can justify them bringing the apparatus back. <laughs> okay, so we had talked about this being a grab bag episode in our last episode, <laughs> and we actually tried to make it one. And then we looked at our watches and we're like, this is not happening because it should probably not surprise anyone, least of all us, <laughs> that we got so derailed with the amplifiers. But we have things we want to get to from messages that we've been sent and various other things in the next episode. We will do it. We're getting there. We just, God, I needed to talk about these amplifiers. But of course, there is always time for book recommendations. I'm so excited to recommend the book Iron Widow, which I just finished reading last night and I absolutely loved. It is YA takes place in futuristic science fiction fantasy fake China is sort of a reimagining of the only empress of China and it is absolutely the epitome of I support women's rights more importantly I support women's wrongs especially when they're right That is 100% the vibes I got. I keep talking about wanting an Alina corruption arc or something. And when I say corruption arc, I don't really mean I want people to be morally corrupt, but I want them to be ruthless and for the right reasons. And this is exactly that. And I loved it. I loved it. This book, I kept just being like, oh my God, this is exactly what I want to be reading. Highly recommend. I have the pleasure of putting together this episode's Kiss, Mary Kill. And this we're doing a little bit differently, um, which is who in the Grishaverse would you most want to see kiss? Would you most want to see get married? And would you most want to see one of them kill the other? I would love to see Nina and Zoya kiss. 
I just feel like they're both really fiery personalities. They're really beautiful. It would be extremely passionate and uh, yeah, hot. Mary, I mean, Nina and Matthias. I, I want that alternate universe where they get their happy ending. No, it doesn't exist. And kill, I would love to see the apparat killed by one of his <laughs> flock. Like they rise up against him because they realize he's an evil political scumbag. I just think that would be fitting. I think for Kiss, my first thought was maybe Kaz and Jesper, just to give Jesper his like little, you know, unrequited crush <laughs> fantasy moment. I don't actually think he would enjoy it, but maybe it would help him like move on much faster. For Mary, not to be too corny, I think I'm going to give it to Nina and Matthias just so they have their little happy ending that they don't get in the books. It could be like a fun, they're still like double agenting or like some fun twist could be happening, I'm sure. For Kill, I kind of want to see an Elisabetta Darkling showdown. I don't really care who kills who. <laughs> Or whom. I just think it would be really interesting to see them turn on each other and like how it goes down. Certainly more interesting than uh, a tree slowly killing the Darkling. <laughs> Not That's true. Killing. Maybe I should let Not Zoya killing. kill oh. the Darkling, oh, which Zoya is her dream the of the second duology, basically. That is good. Some people have that fan service and Kat has Zoya service. <laughs> <laughs> Always. So for kissing... I have mentioned this in a couple different episodes, but I would love to see Alina and Bagra kiss because we truly need more data on amplifiers and kissing. <laughs> that would give us the data that we need. <laughs> and I want it. I need to better understand amplifiers. And I think that's like actually plot relevant and important. <laughs> I almost said that with a straight face, but I do sort of think it's like plot relevant. Getting married, I love that you both picked Nina and Matthias, and that's so cute. And I'm going to pick Darkling and Alina in like 200 years after they've worked a lot of stuff out. I think there's like a lot of work to be done. I think that could be a, a thing that works in like 200 years. Kill? I'm a little bit torn because I would actually sort of love to see the book Bagra that we see in the trilogy. I would love to see her kill someone and understand what she was thinking and feeling about it and like why she did it at that point and how that fit into her present day morality. I think that would tell us a lot about Bagra. I also think it'd be fun if Alina and the Darkling tried to kill each other and then realized they were both immortal and like couldn't kill each other. I think that's also a really good scene. Immortals trying to kill each other and just failing. If I had to pick one in canon, Bagra, so we can learn more. All right. That's it for this episode. As always, if you have any feedback, ideas, or thoughts, please feel free to drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com.